Welcome to another episode of Weekly Regular. Uh, my name is Asan. Uh, this is a very special episode of the Weekly Regular because we are still under quarantine. Uh, everyone is social distancing. Uh, we're hanging out uh, in our <laughs> different homes. And uh, you might notice that uh, my uh, platonic life mate, Brandon Shaw, is not currently on the podcast this week or in the uh, next coming episodes. Brandon is um, is uh, taking care of family stuff and um, is handling some really important stuff around the house and uh, uh, is taking some time away from the podcast. However, I am still here and uh, it presents us with a unique opportunity to bring in some very special guests that I'm super excited to have. Uh, first, joining me on this first special episode of Weekly Regular, uh, is a good buddy of mine. He is our resident science expert here at the Weekly Regular Podcast. He is uh, with me today, and we're going to do some uh, sci-fi movie reviews, starting with uh, a very dear <laughs> movie close to my heart. Uh, but we'll find we'll find out about all of that in a second. Please welcome, though, first and foremost, Mr. Luke Galan, the Science Mon. Luke, how you doing? Good, brother. Thanks for having me, man. Hey, good. Good to have you back. Uh, what was the last episode you were on? Uh, Do you oh, remember what we were talking about? Gosh, I, it was either Ad Astra or I don't remember. Might have been uh, yes. lost episode somewhere. I don't know. I think I think the last one that uh, people would have heard you on would have been the episode where we talked about Ad Astra. Uh, yeah. Uh, well, it's been a while. Uh, how? Uh, before we get into the movie, how is life for you? You since we've last talked to you, you've had a child. Yes, I have. Yes, I have a little girl, baby Eden. Mm-hmm. Eden. Yes. All right. And how is that? How and how old is she now? She is four months. Going to be five months on the twenty eighth of this month. So very excited. When do you plan on starting to sleep again? Oh, God. You know, she was sleeping real nice. And then these last couple of nights, she's like, you know, every two hours sounds like a great plan. And so mm. now we're back to no sleep. So, yeah, just just drinking, I'm guessing. Right. Yes. Just uh, just, <laughs> you know, you know, you know, the drill, you know, you know, what's, what's the best what's the best drink to have when you have a small child? Like because I know I'm, I don't drink alcohol. Right. But I, I know that alcohols, different kinds of alcohols do different things. What's like the best <laughs> You know, like when you're supposed to with seafood, you're supposed to have like a white wine with like red meat, like Italian food. You're supposed to have red wine and, and stuff like what's the best companion drink to a newborn baby? Uh, companion drink. I, I'm i a big whiskey drinker. So companion drink would definitely have to be, you know, a nice, a nice, uh, you know, you know, scotch or whiskey. I don't know. <laughs> OK, right on. All right. So uh, cool. Eden and how's your how's your wife doing, Liz? She's great. Uh, she loves the baby, loves uh, everything that comes with motherhood. The only thing that bugs her is uh, where you know she's she's pumping. So uh, you know that takes um, that takes like half an hour out of her day every three hours. So you know, geez. yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough, but she's it is. she's loving it. So we're very happy on our end. Gotcha. Okay. 
Right on, right on. And witnessing and both uh, witnessing and being a part of birthing a child and then now subsequently raising a child, how has that impacted your like scientific mind or your scientific worldview? How has that informed you as a scientist, as a man of science, if you will? <clears throat> sure. Uh, so we, you know, we, we went through all the classes. We went to like the Le Mans where that old lady tells you, you just got to breathe and then you won't feel pain, you know, and it's like, you know. It's, it's, uh -huh. you know, take it with a grain of salt. Uh, obviously I'm not a woman. I wouldn't know, but you know, from the look of other women, I'd say, you know, me, uh, but you know, you have a plan and you know, we have a, Hey, you know, science tells us that nine, 99.9% .9 of pregnancies go this route and there's no problems mm -hmm. and everything's okay. And then you, you end up like last minute veering course. We, we got, this is what you were telling. This is what you were telling your wife as she was like pushing and trying to give birth. You're reading her the statistics of childbirth. Yeah. I'm like, baby, it's totally normal. You're at 98.6 degrees of whatever. And, uh, no, it was uh, super helpful for her. Right. I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. She's like screaming in pain and I'm looking at the monitor. I'm like, yeah, but it says here that her heart rate is pretty good. And we got like, if, you know, and she's yeah. like, who cares? It hurts. I'm like, all right, well I care, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's a, that's it's what a, I would expect a man of science to do. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful process. Uh, we underwent like a very special mm -hmm. case. She had an emergency C-section. It was kind of crazy, but despite all that, oh, wow. th you know, thank God everything went, went right and everything. Our baby girl is born. She's healthy. And we're, you know, looking back, we look at it and go, wow, what, a, what an experience. And, uh, you know, but we're very happy with where we're at now. Great. Have you, uh, uh, sorry, as you were talking, I started thinking about this uh, tangentially. Have you started watching Devs on Hulu yet? I haven't watched Devs. Is that good? It is good. We should do an episode on it. You should you should watch it. It's a mini series. I think it's like eight episodes long. It's, re it's all on Hulu, too. We should do that uh, pretty soon. Okay, yeah, I'm down. I, I just actually finished watching with my wife uh, um, The Tiger King and then the extra episode they just added. Uh, wow. Yeah. Uh -huh. Wow. And, uh, yeah, we'll have to get. We're gonna do a Tiger King episode pretty soon here. We should. Uh, we should have you back on. Oh my lord, that is crazy! And I'm actually watching for the first time in my whole life The Office. I've never seen it. So, really? Yeah. The American Office. The American Office. Yes, I've seen the British All one. Right, and yeah. How deep are you into the American Office right now? Season three. You know. Uh, you know. Uh, what's her face from Parks and Rec has shown up. Rashida Jones. Okay. And I'm like, whoa, is this like the prequel to Rashida Jones and Parks and Rec? This is great. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what's crazy is when they were um, – I, re I remember first seeing the advertisements for Parks and Rec, and uh, they were really heavy advertising it as like a spinoff show to The Office. Yeah, it, it definitely it, – it's the same vibes. It's obviously the same style of show, but even the humor mm -hmm. is extremely similar, so mm – -hmm. Now, this is an age-old weekly regular argument that Brandon and I have uh, where I am firmly in the camp that The Office in a lot of ways feels like a rough draft of Parks and Rec, and I think Parks and Rec is a much more successful show in terms of tone and, and likability, and I just think it's a better show. And Brandon is... He, he likes both of them. That's kind of his cop-out answer. But he, he thinks The Office is just as good as Parks and Rec, and I, I firmly disagree. What, what is your opinion? I think that The Office is very much a rough draft. 
Uh, I look at the office and I think, you know, Parks and Rec did something similar, but it's kind of like they streamlined all the, you know, extraneous details you don't need, all the, you know, extra camera pans, all that. And they just went straight for the jokes, straight for the story. Keep going. Yeah. 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 Rub it in Brandon's face. Keep going. I'm loving The Office. It's my first time watching it (laughs) and I'm loving it. But I look back at Parks and Rec and I go, but that show is consistently funnier more often. Well, you you heard it here first uh, <laughs> from uh, Luke Alon, the science mon. Uh, our resident science expert has confirmed that uh, objectively Parks and Rec is better than the office. Uh, and Brandon is not here to defend his position, so suck so, it, Brandon. Yeah, he All loses. Right. Um, yeah, he loses. Um, well, that's cool, man. I'm glad to hear you're doing well, watching TV and whatnot. And uh, uh, oh, I wanted one more thing I wanted to ask you. Uh, you are despite what people think you being your uh, the resident scientist and science expert here at the weekly regular is not indeed your full your full-time job your your full-time job is as an educator correct as a science educator uh and so i would imagine that you've been working from home what's that been like well it's been uh it's been hectic uh where i work the district has there's three schools and mm-hmm. uh, of the three schools only one of them has a physics expert uh so they've they kind of contracted me to write the curriculum for online for all the oh, schools wow. and so i've been mm-hmm. kind of over you know doused in work uh but now that everything's kind of written out the the brunt of the work is done now it's just back to interacting with students really weird to interact with them online you know uh, you never know what you're going to get they got mm-hmm. they're really quick with those memes but uh it's really fun <laughs> uh it, it's it's a stressful time we don't know exactly you know we're still waiting on like political news to trickle to us so that we can take decisions as to them so it's been fun it's been stressful and uh we get a lot of feedback from our like high school seniors who are super depressed with uh what's going on obviously they understand it has to be done but that doesn't take away you know how you feel so because i mean it's it's what it's now mid-april i mean prom season is around the corner that's right and that's canceled graduation yeah that's that's rough i was actually booked to dj a prom this year and it's not happening (laughs) yeah uh yeah that's that's crazy man now uh i don't want to get too far in the weeds in this because this isn't a uh an education lobby podcast but i did want to ask you in your experience as an educator um, and you can be as vague or as specific as you want to. I don't want you to get in trouble with your employers. Uh, how, how has your, how, um, I guess in your own words, like how equipped is like the sort of the, at least maybe speak for, speak for the district that you're in, how well equipped infrastructure wise were you all, uh, for this like teaching online and doing all that was there a lot of infrastructure in place for that uh so uh, as in in terms of the public schools in in my district and in the surrounding districts with which we have contact um we've had a lot of good infrastructure we we use things like google classroom you know and other apps pretty consistently uh, already so Mm -hmm. it was more a matter of now you just got to gear everything directly that way full speed right uh but i know that a lot of private schools are having a really difficult time adjusting because they don't have yeah. kind of like a centralized nervous system that tells them what to do right. and what not to do. So they're all over the place. And uh, some of the other school districts uh, near where you live uh, were not as prepared. So um, some of oh, them, wow. some of them, you know, school got canceled on a Friday and they didn't, you know, they didn't know what to do. So they just let their kids go. And now they're calling them like, hey, 
log in somewhere and the kids are like nah it's been three weeks i'm out you know like i don't care anymore yeah let's not dwell on the the covid19 stuff too much because we do have a movie to get into um so I, I reached out to you earlier this week and I said, hey, Luke, uh, in Brandon's absence and in his honor, let's have you on the show. Do a couple episodes. Um, we'll do. Uh, I believe I had a cool name picked out for this segment, but I don't remember what it is at the moment. It was like, uh, I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember either. <laughs> it's, <laughs> but essentially, it's, you know, Luke Galan review science movies. Oh, uh, I think it was science wait i think it was like sci-fi reviews uh with Hassan and luke galan the science mod or something like that it was something cool that rhymed but i'll figure it out and i'll make that the title of the episode but um so you text me back with like a a bunch of movies and stuff that you're super familiar with because you know i want to i want to uh talk about stuff that you you're knowledgeable about which you know that list is really wide because you're a science expert but um so you mentioned godzilla and uh So I'll give you my background with Godzilla and then I'll ask you your background with Godzilla. So I so I have a hard time with fandom and Brandon will tell you this, like anything that people like too much, I kind of stay away from or I just kind of avoid it because I'm like, man, everybody likes that. You know, I I don't know why I have that like sort of mentality. It's like inert in you, like something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm a contrarian. I'm a contrarian. So like. (laughs) I miss the boat on like a lot of things that people have really strong fandom for, like um, Star- Lord of the Rings, Star Wars. We know Star Wars. We've talked about um, uh, Harry Potter and Godzilla is another one. Now Godzilla. Now correct me if I'm wrong, but like the earliest Godzilla movies are like the earliest like sort of giant um, monster movies from Japan. Where it started in what like the 50s, maybe. I just remember them being in black and white. I don't know. Yeah, they were started as a response to dropping the bomb in Hiroshima in Japan. Gotcha. Okay, gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. So, like, I know there's a lot of, like, love and fandom for, like, the the big, like, sort of, you know, claymation Godzilla, guy in the suit Godzilla movies and King Kong and all that kind of stuff. I have never seen any of those movies. Like, the first, like, giant monster movie I saw in a theater was probably either this movie we're going to talk about today or, like... (laughs) Jurassic Park maybe. Okay. And and I don't I wouldn't put Jurassic Park necessarily in the giant monster movie. I mean, I guess it's in there. But um but yeah, so this movie we're doing today is Godzilla. I guess we can call it Godzilla 2000. I know that's yes. not the official name, but that's the year it came out. And um, be careful cuz there is a Godzilla 2000 which came out as a response <laughs> to this movie. Yeah. Is is it really is it live action? It is live action and it has Oh my goodness. We can get into it later, but yeah, it's okay, great. We'll get into it later. So I don't have a huge background with Godzilla movies. So like what I know about Godzilla is basically what I learned. I learned this was like my first like introduction to the character of Godzilla. Right. Like, uh, so like, but I kind of had a background, like a, a, a like a small background of like, um, I knew, I knew from a young age that Japanese film culture was obsessed with like giant things. Um, because I, I had watched like Power Rangers and stuff like that. And I knew that like, and like, you know, then later things like Gundam Wing and like, yeah. um, what was the other one uh, where they like had a big Megazord type thing um, where they like well, combined together? Doesn't matter. Yeah, like, but anyway, Robotech I knew that they, then- they, they had this like, yeah, I knew they had like a, like a giant, they love giant things, right? Yeah. So, um, 
So, but my in- introduction to Godzilla was this movie, the Matthew Matthew Broderick, uh, Hank Azaria vehicle, uh, Jean Reno. Let's not forget Jean Reno. Oh, no. And then, of course, directed by um, the master, uh, the master. What is his name? Emmerich. Uh, Emmerich. So Roland Emmerich, right? Roland Emmerich. Yeah. The, the German, the German king of disaster movies, Roland Emmerich himself. Um I'm, it's funny. I have a bittersweet relationship with Roland Emmerich. He's made some of my favorite movies, and like some really, really, really bad movies. Yeah. The movie like 2012 comes to mind. Oof, yeah, but he uh, made Independence I, Day, right? And so, that, but he made Independence Day. Lots of shades of Independence Day in this movie. Right? We'll get to it. But um, and there's some key things that I think Independence Day does really well that this movie kind of drops the ball on, and we'll get into that as well. Okay, so. What is, so basically, I have no background of Godzilla knowledge sure. except what I've learned from in this movie. So, what Drop did you learn? Let, let's start with what, what did you, I learned. Yeah, what did you learn about Godzilla in this movie? Who is he? Okay, so I learned that in this movie. Well, see, that's the thing. Like, there's a lot of things I'm not sure if I actually learned or if they're. Here's why the movie doesn't work for me. I mean, we'll just get into it. <laughs> so the the whole movie, like, we don't learn anything about Godzilla. The only thing we learn about him or her or whatever is is purely based on the assumptions of a lot of characters none of whom are experts that should be talking about godzilla so that's the problem we have an unreliable information source unreliable narrators i don't know what i learned about godzilla but from this movie what i learned is godzilla was is not is a new species of reptile created by mutations caused by radiation from uh, nuclear testing done by France in the South Pacific. Um, I'm assuming that French uh, element of this movie was added so that it would play better, so America wouldn't be the bad guys, essentially. But um, so Godzilla was a, a new creature created by you know mutations and uh, caused by radiation. He grows really, really tall, and he's just looking for a place to lay his eggs, and he chooses Manhattan for some reason. He loves to eat, he loves to eat fish, and he's not he's not and he's he's painted on one hand as just a creature trying to do what the creature does, trying to nest and trying to have his babies. But then also he's very vengeful. Uh, so there's that too. So that's what I've learned about Godzilla. Uh, wh- why don't you give me your background with Godzilla? Like when you discovered the, the property, what you know about Godzilla, kind of your background with it. Yeah. So, uh, just to make it real quick, uh, I've, I've been watching kaiju movies, which is like movies about big monsters. They called kaiju movies like Pacific Rim, right? More modern right. ones. Um, mm-hmm. I've been watching them for a long time, but I actually didn't watch the original Godzilla's until after I watched, uh, a movie called Gamera friend of children, <laughs> which is about it. Oh, what is that? Yeah. It's, it's kind of like Godzilla, but it's like giant turtle that can like fly okay. by spinning its shell. And it can also shoot like lasers out of its shell. And it's, okay. and it's a friend of children, obviously like Godzilla is the king of monsters. Gamera is the friend of children. So okay. it sounds stupid. It's amazing. Uh, okay. obviously, you know, they, 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 uh, they didn't have the budget of Godzilla. So, you know, the, the now, when they say, when they say friend of children, I don't, I mean, I don't mean to gloss over this part, but like, 
when they say friend of children, how is it a friend of children? Is it only children? Yeah, it, it doesn't really like kill children and it will like kill monsters that like go after children. So like there's in one of the movies, mm. one of the monsters like is stalking, you know, part of Tokyo or part of Japan. Uh, I think it is actually Tokyo. And, you know, Gamera goes out of its way to block a laser that's going to hit a child. And it's like the child loses its baseball cap and picks it up. And he's like, Gamera. And they sing a song called Gamera, Friend of Children. Which is the theme song for Gamera, and it is in English. Uh, as it should be. It's in English. It's in English and in Chi- and in Japanese. So you know, it's uh, it's priceless. It sounds great. <laughs> Through there, I discovered Godzilla, and I've been watching them. Uh-huh. Uh, I haven't seen all the movies. Obviously, there's like way too many to count, and they all have confusing names. So you might pick a different movie and find out it's the same movie you've already seen in a different name in a different region. Uh, so. Um, but yeah, I remember when this movie came to theaters and I thought, oh my gosh, American audiences, are we ready for Godzilla? And then I walked out of the movie and I thought, what's this giant iguana doing in New York? <laughs> yeah, it is, it is the most American, it, like, it is the most American version of Godzilla I think you could ever create, like this, this movie, you know? Yeah, it's got broad shoulders, good muscles, a chin. It's Bruce Wayne as Godzilla. <laughs> yeah, essentially. Um, Okay, so you're 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 very familiar with uh, these types of movies and kind of Godzilla lore and all of that, right? Yeah. So so in a broad sense, we'll get into the details as we go through the movie. But in a broad sense, how does this movie and its sort of lore and mythology compare to other Godzilla movies in their lore and mythology? You know, that's where it's a, it's a little it's a little sad because Godzilla, <laughs> the the concept of Godzilla was a response to the fears of nuclear warfare in Japan. After the bomb was dropped in Hiroshima, uh, escapism takes place, right? Every time there's any kind of anxiety, we need escapism. So in Japan, they created this idea of the giant, of the kaiju, this, uh, Mm -hmm. this kind of like offshoot of what happens when we temper with nuclear material. This creature Mm -hmm. has created this force of nature that we can't stop. That is, uh, you know, bullets don't hurt it. It just kills it. It, it, doesn't discriminate and all that. And it just takes natural causes to have it subside. And, um, Mm. you know, and then you get the American version where, you know, bullets can kill it. (laughs) And, um, what do you do when you have it? You just fire more missiles and more missiles until it says super American. So it kind of like spits in the face of what the original intent is for the creation of Godzilla. And that's, Mm -hmm. I think what bugs Godzilla fans the most. And I think what bugged non-Godzilla fans was that it looked super cheap and cheesy, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, the story was right. just all over the place. So in in more traditional uh, Godzilla movies, how do the people of, I'm assuming, Japan, what's the resolution of most of the movies? Like, do they, is it, do they defeat Godzilla by killing it? Or what? what's the, how do they usually resolve? You can't really defeat Godzilla in that sense. And it's kind of a force mm-hmm. of nature. So, for example, the movie Shin Godzilla came out, I think, 2015. And if you haven't seen it, it won, like, in Japan, they have their version of the Oscars. And it won so mm-hmm. many Japanese Oscars. It was the first kaiju mm-hmm. movie to have won an Oscar in, like, 20 years. And uh, a brilliant movie in its own right. And Are the uh, Japanese Oscars called the Osakas? Oh, my God. <laughs> Maybe. All right, all right. They might all right, be. All right, all um, right. The, the movie, the name of the movie, by the way, Shin Godzilla. Shin is a Japanese word for God. So it's like God Godzilla, like, okay, 
Good job. It's like the ultimate, ultimate Godzilla. So the movie, you know, the creature just is a force of nature. It rampages through the city and they can't really kill it. So the most they could do is kind of what you would do to nuclear waste. You have to like super cool it to kind of make sure that the radiation stays at a low level. So they basically, yeah, mm-hmm. super cool it and they freeze the monster in the middle of like Tokyo. And it just is this monolith in the middle of Tokyo. And at any moment it can spring back to life. And that's how the movie ends. So a lot of the movies are like that. It takes another force of nature, another monster, for example, to come in and stop Godzilla. And uh, in that sense, when he's a villain, when he's a good guy, then it's like, that's a whole separate story. And, you know, but since the American version has a villain Godzilla, you know, it's best to compare it to other movies with villain Godzillas. So... Gotcha. Now, did you now have you seen any of the Godzilla movies, the American Godzilla movies that have come out in the last couple of years? Yeah, I think uh, Gareth Edwards, right? Was that the director of yeah. King of Monsters and all that? Those are fun. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, I liked the first one a lot. Uh, I, I think it was just called Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Um, Twenty fourteen. Really good. Yeah, yeah. That one was really good. That one, um, I think captures what you were kind of saying about like it really tries to drive home the theme of like Godzilla being a force of nature and like something completely beyond human abilities to like even affect in any way right. um, and the and the, and he's and and one of the ways they do that is they make him so big in the movie like he's he's he dwarfs this Godzilla by you know uh, orders of magnitude you know what i mean like he's <laughs> yeah. gigantic and most of the movie is kind of spent at the human level and you don't get a lot of face-to-face interaction with Godzilla, and it feels more like otherworldly. And I think it, um, it, 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 it kind of the movie is more focused on like, okay, how are the lives of these people being affected by this force of nature? And I think I think it's a pretty good, um, you know, character study on how people would deal with like sort of that kind of destruction and interruption in their lives. Definitely. Um, I, I look at it as movie. like, I look at it as like a Kaiju version where we actually get to see the monster little of uh, Cloverfield, the original Cloverfield. Yeah. Where you kind of are feel very similar. Yeah. You stuck with this group of humans and you just got to like, what do we do? Where do we go? And what do our lives look like now? And uh, I love, I love that yep. first movie. The second movie was more, you know, people were complaining. They didn't what see enough expect? Godzilla. So they're like, all right, well, here we go. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yep. It was, yeah, it was kind of back to a little bit. There's shades of that, of this movie and that movie, I would say, too. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's stop uh, burying the lead here. Let's get into Godzilla 2000. Uh, we can kind of go through the, the story and we'll just talk about some of the sci-fi elements and just some of the, the elements of the movie and just talk about any connections to older movies and, and stuff like that. We'll just kind of have a fun little chit-chat about it. You ready? Yep. All right. So, uh this movie opens with a bunch of uh, footage of what looks like the, of what they say is the South Pacific. Uh, and it's kind of, it's got the film grain effect on it to show you that it's from a long time ago. Um, we're seeing some shots of Komodo dragons and then some iguanas. Right. Um, so have we, in your scientific opinion, have, have we landed on what uh, type of lizard this uh, Godzilla actually is? Well, I, the people who created it based it off of an iguana, and uh, so okay. that's why it has like the big chin, the jagged spikes mm-hmm. on the back that are more frilled like an iguana's, 
And even it's mm-hmm. it's it's forearms are more um, they're forward facing, you know, they're back like an iguanas with the elbows pointing uh, backward, kind of like an iguana. So it, right. it's very much designed that way from an artistic point of view. Uh-huh. Um, you know, they show the Komodo dragons and the whole reel, the montage. Uh, they used uh-huh. they used it again in the Godzilla 2014, the one we like. They use they, they use really? a similar montage in that one and in King oh, of yeah, Monsters. That's right. So right. it's a nice little like nod to that original 2000 American Godzilla, I guess. Right. Um, I thought it, it, there's an interesting bit of trivia in the, uh, well, I'm assuming it's a bit of trivia in the opening credits. Um, the, the lead sort of creature designer is a guy named Patrick Totopoulos. And <laughs> yes. uh, the main character, <laughs> Matthew Broderick's character in this movie's <laughs> name is Nico Totopoulos, a uh, very on the nose kind of Greek name. And yes. I'm assuming he's named after the creature designer. And they they really, really make a joke out of no one being able to say Totopolis for the entire movie. And it, just when you think they're about to stop making that joke, they continue to make that joke yeah. through the entire movie. They, they either call the guy the worm guy or the worm scientist or it's like Nick Totopolis or whatever. Yeah, Nick Totopolis. There's like people yeah, it's, dying it's, everywhere and they're like, look, quickly, let's make a joke about this. That That's another thing I kind of respect about Roland Emmerich uh, but is also bananas is that <laughs> no matter how crazy or dire the situation is he he and by extension his characters never don't they never there's never like too little time to stop and enjoy some comedy you know there's that scene at the beginning like uh, with the, the tanker and the tanker's like flipping around there's this guy yeah. in the kitchen who falls down and all the knives land like pointed down right around him like silhouetting him <laughs> and I'm like what the heck is this yeah. Bucks Bunny what oh it gets even worse there's a, I don't want to I don't want to spoil the ending but there's a there's a scene later where they're running through um, Madison Square Garden from like the baby Godzilla Raptor things and and Matthew Broderick like dumps over like uh, like a big dispenser of gumballs, oh, yeah. and <laughs> and the baby like sort of raptor things are running and they start slipping on the gumballs. And Matthew Broderick like they're they're like ten feet away from him, and and we've seen them eat humans, so we know that they're in danger. <laughs> but like instead of continuing on, he turns around and stops at the top of the staircase and enjoys the slapstick for a few seconds. And it's like an endless stream of basketballs and gumballs. It's like four billion. It <laughs> it's re- and like, it's not just that like they're slipping like, and they can't catch their footing. Like they're falling over in like cartoon, like roadrunner fashion. Like yeah, you can, you can put that coyote. <laughs> yeah. If you put the, the friggin' yakety sacks to that, it's, it's pretty hilarious. <laughs> So anyway, okay, so we start with some footage of uh, of iguanas and, and lizards on islands in the South Pacific. Um, okay, here's my first question, because the implication is that Godzilla uh, is, is started from one of these lizards that got uh, bombarded with radiation, sure. and it mutated the lizard in a way <clears throat> that would make it grow to you know, uh, orders of magnitudes, uh, higher than it normally would, uh, exponentially larger because Nick Totopoulos, uh, he, oh man, we're going to get into his job in a second, <laughs> but he, he theorizes that because of the worms he's studying at Chernobyl, sure. uh, have, have, uh, increased in size exponentially. He's theorizing that the, that the Godzilla is, is also a result of that. Now, my first science question to you, Luke Galan is, can radiation cause things to grow huge? 
So an interesting thing is that in Chernobyl, for example, a uh, couple things. He rolls in in his like Volkswagen van. Oh, that's what I was gonna ask. Can you just drive to Chernobyl? No. Like, is, can you just no. go there? You okay, need a special gotcha. permit, and you need to go in wearing like full hazmat gear. Uh, something like 15 minutes in Chernobyl gives you your yearly dose of radiation. So you, gotcha. you can't so just can't drive just in and be up. like, I guess I'm gonna go collect worms. <laughs> I can't just roll up in my Kangol hat and my Jabo jeans and just. <laughs> No, okay, got gotcha. you. Uh, yeah, so okay. so an interesting thing is that in Chernobyl, um, something that they did to kind of uh, mitigate the effects of the radiation is they got rid of about three meters of topsoil. So they took all the, the ground, like the dirt, they dug up three meters mm-hmm. deep all across Chernobyl and put it all in trash bags and threw it somewhere. I have no idea where. Russia. Um, <clears throat> right. And uh, so that meant that the radiation, even though it was a huge exposure, has subsided quickly, which means that life has returned to Chernobyl. Life that we could not, like, we could not go there, hunt a deer and eat it because the radiation in that deer would kill us. But but the deer have slowly over many generations kind of evolved to get used to the radiation. No, there's no really uh, size growth. But the fact that there is genetic mutation over generations that created deer that are slightly immune to that amount of radiation means that it's not out of the question to uh, theorize some amount of growth. But in the movie, they make it seem like the nuke in Fr- the French nuke was like a couple weeks ago. And then like these iguanas are like 450 feet tall now. And it's like, all right, well, I don't think that's. <laughs> no. Yeah. And if. And and if we were to keep the ratio the same, if those iguanas are growing to Godzilla size, those earthworms that uh, Matthew Broderick was digging up would have been the size of like anacondas. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't know, man. That's some that's some <laughs> faulty logic. All right. Well, we'll go with that. Okay. So the next the next little uh, beat we have is Godzilla attacks uh, a Japanese sort of like fishing boat in the middle of the ocean yeah because he smells the fish Uh, in the boat not in the ocean gotcha yeah gotcha okay um so do our okay so are are iguanas or reptiles do they eat fish is that like part of their diet they're omnivores so they'll eat whatever's available but they don't have a preference like if, if there's humans they'll just eat the freaking humans because they make it seem like they make it seem like lizards eat fish the way like uh spiders eat flies like that's all godzilla wants is fish <laughs> yeah no not not necessarily i think iguanas don't really have a high diet of fish they're probably more likely to eat small insects like beetles you know uh beach right. insects like roaches stuff like that right gotcha okay gotcha okay well there's that's my i guess that's my second uh uh, science question for you. Okay, so then we get Matthew Broderick playing a very stereotypical scientist. That's right. Um, With a 12 year old boy haircut. I love that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so that's another thing I wanted to ask you. Does, oh, excuse me, my phone was not on vibrate. I should have done that. I owe you a dollar. Um, <laughs> uh, so you you are a, a, a science educator, and I'm sure you've crossed paths with many people. Uh, who uh, work in the science field doing research and stuff like that. Uh, How is this movie, how does it portray scientists? Is this a good portrayal of scientists or do they feel movie scientists to you? Because there's a couple Uh, scientists in this this movie. Yeah, there's a couple. And as with any uh, movie, if you get two or three scientists together, they can only ever disagree. 
which is hilarious. <laughs> right. uh, I, and it's not far from the truth, you know? It's not far. Uh-huh. I always tell people, like, you, you're looking for conspiracy theorists, but, like, try to get five smart people in a the room. They'll never agree on anything. But, right. So, no, there can't be conspiracy. Like, the Illuminati's taking over the world. They will never agree on anything. Get real. But, uh, so, to that extent, yeah, everyone's going to have their special, their special specialty or special emphasis or special focus as a field of study. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, sure, there's, like, that lady who's, like, a paleontologist or a paleobotanist or paleo something uh she's sarah harding from uh jurassic park the lost world exactly but you know discount and then you got uh matthew broderick who's like you know a biologist who studies worms or something and he works for the 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 nuclear uh something commission yeah that so he works for a commission that studies the effects of nuclear radiation on ecosystems i guess and his best way of doing that is to electrocute the ground and get the worms to be like, I didn't like that. In, in Chernobyl. <laughs> in Chernobyl. Yeah, he's he's torturing worms. Yeah, uh, which is not how electricity works, but hey, whatever. You know, you... <laughs> You're telling me that wouldn't work? I can't just plug my car battery into the dirt and watch the earthworms rise? Well, when so when you do like circuits, there's always like the ground wire that goes uh-huh. to the ground so that it's safe. It doesn't go anywhere. Because gotcha. the ground is insulating. So it's not like you're going to electrocute like 10 square meters and be like, all the worms. Give me all the worms. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's a bummer. So I, I want to get into I want to get into the female characters here uh, for a second, because uh, there's a basically everything in this movie does not age well. No, um, like nothing in this movie like stands the test of time. Everything about this movie is outdated, whether you're talking about the CGI, the gender politics, yeah. Um, the the R word is used. Yes. Like twice. Yeah. And one time it's shouted by a character at the top of her lungs. And in, in like, you know, in the middle of Times Square, she's like, yeah. there it is, guys. <laughs> like, so the the female characters in this movie are just they are treated so horribly by the, the writer. Uh, it, it just the female characters exist in this movie to basically uh be hurdles and obstacles uh to our male characters not even just the male leads but all the other male characters correct and then if and then if they're not a hurdle or an obstacle then they are uh being uh, victimized by yeah. male characters severely <laughs> there is some like job related like harvey weinstein vibes here dude uh so the character of audrey who's the quote-unquote love interest for matthew broderick is like straight up harvey weinstein in her introductory scene yes (laughs) she wants to be a reporter really bad and the senior reporter guy's like well you can come to my apartment if you want the job yeah he's like we can talk about it at your place tonight it's like what the and she's like but I, I, you know, I don't want to do that. And he's like, well, it's your choice. Like, yeah. And, and this is the first time we've seen her character. And that's the scene she gets. It's, it's pretty. And that guy never gets his comeuppance. It's just like, he's just a, a jerk and well, whatever, you know, he's fine. The yeah. movie doesn't, doesn't feel the need to like get any like retribution for him, the way he's treated her at no. all. I mean, at, literally after that conversation, she just sits at the door and sticks some gum on like a poster and she goes, well, better luck next, better luck next time, I guess. And walks away. And yeah. it's like, what the? And, and, and everything, every, every, and she's the only character that's punished for the 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 way men treat her in this movie it's pretty wild <laughs> yeah it's uh it's a sign of the times i guess uh 
Yep. Uh, I thought that, okay, so we're moving through the plot. So we meet Audrey. Now, I thought it was interesting when they cut to um, New York for the first time and we see Audrey. The title card over the establishing shot of New York said, The City That Never Sleeps. Yes. And, and this, I think, is uh, emblematic of, of, I think, a huge problem with the way the movie's written. So I would imagine that Roland Emmerich, like he does with all of his movies, had a big hand in writing this movie. And Roland Emmerich is a German man. And he it, it is, it's as if he's never, ever, ever been to New York City. Like he's only ever heard of New York City from like what he's seen in movies. Yeah. And that's all he knows. Like like he, he, he read a pamphlet. He's like, oh, the Big Apple City never sleeps. OK, I'll use those. Like. <laughs> And every character in the movie is such a stereotype. It's it's ridiculous. Like the friend Audrey's friends, Animal and his his ball and chain of a girlfriend is like those characters. Those characters are written like cartoon characters of New Yorkers. Yeah, I don't think Animal's name is actually ever stated. Is it? It's I just, think it's just Animal. It's just, they just animal. Call him animal. His mom looked at him yeah. and was like, "Yep." <laughs> It's it's pretty wild. Uh, Hank Azaria is having a great time, obviously, in this movie, but those characters are written terribly. The military people are written like cartoon military people. Yeah. Uh, the mayor is like, for some reason, he's cartoonishly evil. And uh, I believe that the mayor and his lackey guy are uh, an homage to quote-unquote, to Siskel and Ebert. Well, so what happened was Roland Emmerich was super mad at Siskel and Ebert because they gave his previous mu- movie, which I think was Independence Day, 1996, right? Independence Day, well, yeah, it was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. They gave it a really low rating. So he's like, he, he came out in like an uh, interview and he was like, I hate those guys, whatever. And then he decided to put them in this movie as like revenge, but he never does anything to them. Yeah, they're not, I mean... They just want candy, uh, I guess. Yeah, they're just, I mean, they're, yeah, they're comedic relief at best. Yeah. Um, yeah, very, there's very strange things happening in this movie. This whole movie does feel like a reaction to Independence Day, though. Like, it feels like... Because so much of what he got right in Independence Day is just not evident here. Like, in Independence Day, like, even even talking about cultural stereotypes... <laughs> You take take the character, uh, take Jeff Goldblum's character in Independence Day. Right. Uh, his father is played by Judd Hirsch. Yes. Who's ba- who's playing a very stereotypical, or what we think of as a stereotypical, like sort of older Jewish dad. Yeah. Uh, who's kind of kerfuffled all the time. Yeah. And, oh, I can't believe this. Oh, my son. Oh. Huh. Yeah. Oh. oh. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm 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 not pleased by you, David. You know, like it's very stereotypical, but it's countered. By Jeff Goldblum, who's playing a very real and grounded character, yeah, and, and which 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 you know makes the stereotype feel more intentional and feel like more place there for like comedic nuance, yeah. But this movie lacks any of that. Like every character is just kind of this weird stereotype from you feel like you've seen from other movies, and it's just it's just weird, man. Yeah, it's a weird film. I totally agree with you. I feel like uh, Jeff Goldblum's dad is is there to serve the purpose of deepening Jeff Goldblum's character. Uh, sort of through his distance and progressiveness in comparison here there's just right. yeah there's just flat pieces of paper walking around like whoa check out my title this is who i am these are my stats you know right and it's so funny because in independence day like it's all like so many of those characters feel so real to me like they all have layers and it's funny because in independence day the only character that really feels like a stereotype is the the president 
But I feel yeah. like the movie knows that and is using that to affect and is actually, I think, commenting on the role of the president in a time like this. Yeah. The, the role of the president is to set the tone for the country. I mean, we 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 know that the hard way now. Yeah. But the role the role of the president is, is to set the, the, the tone for how we respond to things as a nation. And so the nation needed him to be a stereotype in that moment. Yeah. And, and I feel like Independence Day is doing that and handling that so well. And in this movie is doing the exact opposite. Yeah, like I don't, I don't know if, if Roland Emmerich just got lucky once, or if you know what I mean. I don't know, but it's it's nowhere near. Here. I mean, you think it's about you around. think about like the mayor, right? Like really quickly, you know, uh, Zilla arrives um, at New York, and mm-hmm. like the mayor's like clear out New York, three three million whatever people they say, and they're like get them all out, uh, all of them. And then, like, two seconds later, he's like, how dare you make me do that? It's like, whoa, that's some fast <laughs> reaction, man. Right. <laughs> it's crazy, man. Also, so, okay. Luke, if, if, if this were to happen, if a giant lizard the size of Godzilla were to climb out of the ocean and, and attack New York or L.A. or whatever city, um, I, wouldn't there be some other experts brought in than just these two people? Oh, for sure. Like, like we've got the 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 radioactive uh the radioactive worms guy and the like the paleon biologist lady or whatever. Yeah. Like, wouldn't they bring in like some kind of reptile expert? Like, like I just feel like none of that was like. Why didn't they just make Nick's character a reptile expert? Like, what is? The- I don't know, man. Like, you look at like a movie like Arrival, where you yeah. have like this phenomenon arrives. And then they're uh-huh. like, all right, we got to assemble a team of 40 people who are all going to be working in tents right outside the danger zone. And you think, yeah, that's pretty legit. And then you get this movie. It's like, all yeah. right, giant creature arrives. Let's get these three guys and like 15 guys with guns. And we'll just uh, yeah. clear the city. <laughs> let's, get, let's get ready to rumble. <laughs> yeah, I feel like Roland Emmerich, like when he was writing this movie, was like basically like, okay, we've got our main scientists. <laughs> What what does he do? Uh, Biology. Oh, Godzi- Bi- Godzilla is a lizard, so he should probably be a reptile expert. But reptiles aren't funny. Like they couldn't call him lizard guy. That's not funny. What about what if he worked with worms? Can he be a worm guy? Can they call? That's funny. Worm guy is funny. Like you solve so many problems if like. I mean the new the new Jurassic Park movies got it right where. Uh, instead of inventing some crazy character who doesn't need to be like around this movie because he's not qualified, they make their hero character, Chris Pratt, they make him uh, yeah. a raptors expert. Like they make yeah. him a dinosaur expert because it makes sense for him to be there. Yeah. Like it's funny. Like Roland Emmerich got the idea to make Matthew Broderick some kind of guy who works with worms because he thinks that's funny. And then for some reason he's, a part of this just make him a reptile expert yeah it makes so much more sense yeah I, I really don't get that i really don't get that move i don't get the move of like bringing in these other scientists and like having like a, a romantic subplot with like the redhead and matthew broderick that goes nowhere fast yeah, it goes absolutely nowhere i think it i i man i don't know why that that is even in there no maybe it's to show that like matthew broderick doesn't know 
how good I think it's there to show that Matthew Broderick it's to remind the audience that Matthew Broderick is handsome yeah and and the girl but, reading the you know like the the redhead who's playing the the biologist the paleontologist she looks like she's just mm-hmm. reading off the prompter and annoyed at the font you know she's like <sighs> the whole time right. it's like yo what are they doing do they have it in like hot pink for you to read what's wrong with that what, what's going on here it's it's crazy um, we're going to get to that subplot in a second with uh, with the girlfriend, the love interest and all that. But OK, so the next beat I have is they try to the first thing they try to do is lure Godzilla with a pile of fish and shoot him. Sure. Um, right. So uh, right here is where they start to make a lot of assumptions in this movie. OK, so there's a giant lizard. Lizards aren't necessarily known to eat fish. Right. They assume he eats fish because he attacked a fishing boat. That's correct. But. But we don't know that, but they're assuming that. So they, they, they literally pile all of their resources of fish into the middle of the city, hoping that that's what he wants. And then Matthew Broderick, Godzilla doesn't show up at first. They're like, well, what's going on? And Matthew Broderick's like, oh, I know. We got to take the manhole covers off so he can smell them. Okay. Yeah. There's another set of assumptions there. One, do we, I mean, do we know he's underground? Two, how do we know he hunts by smelling? Like, how do we know his senses work like that? As a scientist, Luke, it, would it be safe to make those kinds of assumptions, or how would you go about figuring those things out? Well, no, because iguanas are lizards, and lizards tend to have uh, special uh, senses on the uh, sensory particle, uh, sensory nerves on the tongue. Uh, uh, in the tips of their nose, uh, even on the frills on their head, they can have these sensory uh, uh, nerves that help them almost taste what's in the air. It's not quite right. smell, but it's not quite taste. Uh, you mean they don't have big, bulging, horse-like nostrils that go <laughs> every time they breathe in and out? No, no, not quite. <laughs> not quite like that. So, so oh, okay, gotcha. you know, you wouldn't need that because you, you have this creature that you've created that could just have, you know, the stick out its tongue and taste where the fish is. It, it doesn't need to have, you know, uh, a fan, you know, Looney Tunes fan blowing the smoke into the sewer. Like we got them now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like the pie on the windowsill type thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So they, they shoot at Godzilla, uh, the small, like the handheld guns don't work. Sure. So they, and he, he flees and they, they chase him in helicopters. Right. Right. Okay. So, I, let me ask you this, because at this point, Godzilla seems to show some characteristics that, to me, seem beyond the capabilities of a reptile. Correct. At this point, he kind of Godzilla behaves like um, they anthropomorphize him a lot, like in the way that he behaves, because he he sometimes they want him to behave kind of like a he behaves kind of somewhere between a dog and a horse. Yeah. Uh, but then sometimes he's very vengeful. Uh, like he 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 kills not just to hunt but like to prove a point, <laughs> which is very yeah. weird. So uh, so most of the movie he kind of acts like a small child. So so in this helicopter chase, um, uh, he's he he can he understands that the helicopters are danger. He's running from them. Like, do iguanas have this level of intelligence? Like, do God lizards no. have this? Okay. No, no. I was just making sure I'm not crazy. No, no. They're 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 tripping. Like the, an iguana is, you know, it's it's a reptile. It'll behave like a yeah. reptile. Like, you know, yeah. obviously it'll run from danger if it sees right. if you know feels fire or like a very loud thud or something. But it's not a right. xenomorph. 
But they make it act like an alien xenomorph, like exactly, and it like ducks and weaves out of the way of the missiles, which don't attack it. The missiles don't work for some reason because I guess it's cold blooded. That's not how that works either. <laughs> okay, that was gonna be my next thing. So, with as far as the the cold blooded thing, there is a line in this movie that was so crazy. I was like, "There's no way that this is true." Okay, so uh, he says. He's, the helicopter pilot says, the missiles can't lock on. He's colder than the buildings around him. Yeah, it's not, not possible. <laughs> okay. <laughs> not possible. Blood is flowing. There's heat in his body. Just because he's cold-blooded, the only thing that means is that he's not, you know, uh, he, he, his blood, his, his temperature can adjust to the temperature of its surroundings. It doesn't gotcha. have, maintain homeostasis. It doesn't maintain an internal body temperature like us. Right, but that does not mean that it is, does not that have heat. Zero body like heat, if you yeah. cut into it, it's not an icicle in there. There's still hot <laughs> organs going to pop out. Right. Uh, yeah. That's that's and and especially because he's so big, I'm sure it'd be it. It's there's a, a tremendous amount of heat being being. Yeah, created, and especially because there's a a rainstorm that they say has been going on for a week. So the buildings are ice cold anyway in New York. Yeah, and they're like, nah, yeah. nah. The lizard, he's real cold. Uh, also, I'm pretty sure that they made the choice to have it raining nonstop so that it, the CGI looked better. Oh, um, for sure. They did that Jurassic I'm Park sh- trick. Yeah, but the rain was so ridiculous. Like, at least in Jurassic Park, you could kind of believe it because it's like some island somewhere. And there's daytime stuff some of the time. In this movie, it's like... <laughs> I don't know if this movie takes place over one night or like two weeks because it's always like dark out and it's always raining whenever they need to like show Godzilla. So it's just, I don't know. It was a weird choice. Um, also, here's a, here's a novel idea. If you're not super confident in your CGI of Godzilla, maybe don't have so much Godzilla in the movie. Seriously. I don't know what they I were mean, thinking. I mean, yeah, they were trying to do stuff way ahead of their time with this. It was pretty wild. Um, so yeah, uh, so there's the helicopter chase and happens. Um, okay. So then Nick Totopoulos gets the bright idea of, for some reason he thinks, well, maybe the thing is pregnant. So he gets, he collects a sample of Godzilla's blood and then goes to the, 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 you know, the pharmacy and gets some pregnancy tests. Now, Lucalon, <laughs> would, is there any way lizard blood could be used in a human pregnancy test? No. Okay. <laughs> no. No. Pregnancy tests are notoriously fickle. They basically okay. they basically measure uh, uh, changes in pro- progesterone, uh, which is uh-huh. which is a chemical that's released at a very specific point in pregnancy. If you're too pregnant or not pregnant enough, they don't work. So you are assuming you're a, a hundred story foot tall lizard. Yeah. Then it, uh, lizards don't release progesterone in the same way because they're not mammals. They have an entirely separate set of hormones. It's a very similar Uh process, but separate set of hormones. These tests would not collect data for that. So there would be no way to use this. Um, Another question about this this Godzilla pregnancy, which is a a sentence I'd never thought I'd hear myself say. Um, So this movie posits that Godzilla, and by all intents and purposes, they are correct by positing this, uh, Godzilla reproduces asexually. Are there any lizards or reptiles on Earth that we know of that pr- reproduce asexually? Off the top of my head, I wouldn't be able to tell you. Um, my okay. short answer is yes, but no iguanas. 
Gotcha. So uh, I'm sure there is some, but I don't think there are any iguanas that can do asexual reproduction in that way. And there's no need for it because there's very few. I don't know. I, uh, there's mm, no. <laughs> Yeah, it, it seemed like the the convenient. asexual reproduction. Yeah, it was convenient for the script. They needed to not have two Godzillas and have this one be able to reproduce. <laughs> uh, so there you go. All right. Okay. So that this now introduces a subplot. So in this convenience store where Matthew Broderick is buying pregnancy tests, he runs into Audrey, who was a former college lover of his. Uh, and they parted ways after college. He went off to go study worms. She went off to go <laughs> become a reporter and get sexually abused by her boss. Um, so all the all the years that have passed, I think they said it was eight years ago that they finished college. She has not yet become a reporter. She's just this the reporter's assistant. And he's, you know, successful in his worm field. He's all on TV now because of this thing that's happening. And she's all like desperate for his approval because she... Uh, she dumped him essentially, right? Right. So, uh, because of course, because she's got to be the villain because she's a woman and she's in this movie. So, they have a meet cute in this grocery store where he's like basically like, "Yeah, I'm still mad. You left me without a phone call or a letter. Uh, yeah, I'm still mad." He's like, "But you know, we could still have coffee." Or I think he says tea. I think they have tea. Uh, right because he's got to be weird he's matthew broderick and because coffee we're going to use later for the french guys to make fun of them i was Uh, just going to say that too (laughs) yeah so they go to matthew broderick's like sort of tent space in the military compound because i guess you could just walk there um and he brings her into his tent and she steals his top secret government video you know it's top secret because it says top secret on it and uh she steals it to make a uh a, a news report with some confidential uh, information uh, that she thinks will make her career um, betraying his trust and further becoming uh, a villain in this movie. Um, yeah, this <laughs> it's really a bummer. And then eventually her story gets stolen by the, the, the jerk um, guy she works for. And she just basically is left to wallow in her own uh, mistakes and cry and all of that. Now, and we're, ne- we're never told how he steals it, by the way, because we leave off with her having uh, given it to like the 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 producer who's going to run guy. it. Yeah. And and yep. so suddenly, like 10 minutes later, they're like, oh, here's your story. It's running. And it's some guy. And it's like, what the heck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, I mean, it's a mess. That whole story is a mess. Um, OK, so let's get into the French guys. So Jean Renault, an actor who I love, uh, an actor from he was in The Professional. Great. He's 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 a great French actor. He's a national treasure, an international treasure, if you will. Yes, I will. Um, He is in this movie. He he and his cohorts are in this movie. They are literally literally playing cartoons like they they (laughs) obviously Roland Emmerich has never been to New York. Obviously, Roland Emmerich has never met a French person (laughs) like it's it, it. it's real bad. So, why don't you so why don't you explain what you've gathered from who Jean Renault is in this movie and like what his him and he and his cohorts are doing in this movie? Uh, his name in the movie is Jean. Uh, gosh, Jean Jean Philippe. 
right? Jean Philippe. Okay, and he's his cohort. His cohort is like Jean Luc, Jean Pierre. <laughs> yeah, they all have Jean as their first name. <laughs> it's it's so bad. Yeah, so so he loves coffee, and uh, he's a French military spy, like Secret Service. Yeah, who's says. who's out to like kill Godzilla because reasons they never tell us. Yeah, well. Well, well, the reason is I think the reason is never stated explicitly, but it's implied that uh, the the nuclear tests that caused Godzilla, how they know this, got, who knows? But the nuclear tests that caused Godzilla were done by the French military, right? Um, and so the the French Secret Service is there to somehow cover that up somehow, even though what they produced is a hundred story tall lizard i don't know how you cover that up yeah like at that point no one's like who caused this like what thing that, everybody was lobbing bombs in the south pacific like it doesn't you know what i mean yeah uh, so I, I, yeah i think this was included for one of two reasons i would imagine the first draft of this script probably was just a i think the character uh, was always there. there. There was going to be some kind of Secret Service character that's helping Matthew Broderick and and operating outside of the military. But I, I bet you, in the first draft of this script, it was just the American CIA or Secret Service or whatever, right? Because um, that would make more sense and would probably be better. But I would imagine at the time, especially in the year two thousand or nineteen ninety nine, when this movie was being made, I would imagine that a note from this that Roland Emmerich got a note from the studio saying let's make this a different country because you know they didn't want to make america the villains you know in a movie that created the monster that we're all trying to fight because the world wasn't ready for that kind of nuance in a blockbuster movie <laughs> yeah no point. you know what yeah I mean? no no the, the the french are in there to scapegoat the americans the americans are doing their best you know and the french are just you know they're there to help out you know they're friendly yeah because everyone knows, when everyone thinks of uh, nuclear testing in the South Pacific, they think of France. Oh, of course, yeah. They never think of the U.S. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Clan, uh, I, France was clearly the ones who dropped the bombs. That's what we, That's what everyone thinks. Uh, but anyway, so the French are there, and they are cartoon Frenchmen. None of them look like military or Secret Service. They look like just a bunch of French clown actors like, <laughs> with giant glasses, and like they they were this they were this short, this close to wearing berets. Like they all, I like you know what I mean. Like it's yeah. that level. They smoke tiny cigarettes and drink coffee all day. Like there's yeah. a running gag in the movie where Jean Reno's character like hates American coffee. Uh, like it's just it's real bad. The yeah. one joke though that did get me in this whole movie was the chewing gum joke because I had forgot about it, and that is just a genuinely funny joke. Uh, there's tired. a bunch of cart, there's a bunch of cartoon French guys like dressed as American soldiers, uh, and they're handing out chewing gum as they're handing out all the other like essentials or whatever. And Matthew Broderick goes, "What's with the chewing gum?" And Jean Renault looks at him blank face and goes. It makes us look more American. And he looks around at all these like cartoon French guys <laughs> chewing mouth open, chewing gum, slack jawed. And it just was the funniest thing I've ever seen. Oh, my gosh. What does that say about Roland Emmerich and his view on Americans? <laughs> you know, yeah, exactly. Like even the French know that this is true, you know? <laughs> right. So uh, so they're planning to sneak back in uh, to try to find the nest uh, because the military doesn't buy that there's a, a nest of other Godzillas because they think, well, ha like the audience does, how would this thing reproduce asexually? We have no evidence of that. But 
there they go on Matthew Broderick's hunch, and the French Secret Service escorts Matthew Broderick back into the island of Manhattan. Um, at this point, Godzilla, it's Godzilla versus the Navy. Um, Godzilla jumps into the water and has a fight with some submarines. Um, <laughs> these missiles can lock on for some reason. Yeah. Um, I guess the water's, you know, warmer, warmer, than, cooler I, than him. I, I guess. <laughs> so they fire missiles and this is where the anthropomorphizing of, of Godzilla gets really out of control. Uh, they fire like these heat seeking missiles at Godzilla and he's able to instantaneously, instantaneously intuit that these missiles are going to follow him. So he turns around, swims back towards the, the submarine that shot at him and ducks under the submarine just in time for the missiles to crash into the submarine. Yeah. I think Godzilla got a copy of the script and he was like, Hey, wait a second. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, yeah, he's like, I can't go out that easy. I got to like do something to show him that I'm, you know, so not only is he able to intuit that, you know, the that these missiles are going to track his, you know, biology, biological signature, but he's also doing enough geometry to know what angle to take to make the missiles crash into the submarine. Am I right on it's, that? It's uh, nuts. It's nuts. The only cool thing about that is that he swims like a like an iguana, which is kind of cool really yeah he actually does like the swimming like an iguana which i thought was you know the cg is really bad in this movie but they use some practical really effects sometimes like they have some puppets and they look cool and i'm yeah, like the puppets are really good yeah you should have just used the puppets guys like come on yeah that's true um yeah but the puppets can't slip and slide around like uh <laughs> like cartoon characters come on man um, no, so yeah, but they actually, but they actually are able to shoot Godzilla with some missiles and they think he's dead at the bottom yes. of the river or whatever. It's it's okay. important to note that at this point, the missiles that they're shooting at him also roar like tigers when they explode. <laughs> I don't know if you noticed right. that, but when that's a, that, that is a good segue because I forgot to bring up the point. Is, is there any lizard that we know of that makes any kind of th noise close to a roar? Uh, so like animals like that can, uh, can hiss and can even like underwater, uh, a hissing underwater would sound like a roar. Like if you've ever like gone scuba diving, you'll hear like catfish and they roar underwater, for example, but you bring them over uh, water. I've never gone scuba diving and things like that is the exact reason why <laughs> I will never go scuba diving. Yeah. I took, uh, I took my wife once and I was like, nah, baby, it's going to be cool. And then like, we went through these reeds and there was like a catfish waiting for it started roaring and she just swam away. And I'm like, all right, me too, I guess. <laughs> and you guys are still married. We are. Yeah. This was when we were dating. That is crazy. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. There, there can be, there can be lizards that make like maybe not full blown roars, but sounds like growls and hisses. Kind of like a cat gargling or something like that. Mm -hmm. Sure. Gotcha. And big enough. So sure. It's, it's, yeah. So it's somewhat plausible that he could roar like the T-Rex. Mm, yeah, sure. I mean, he has a bigger <laughs> chin than the T-Rex, so I would imagine it's a deeper roar. It's true. It's a good chin. It's a strong chin. It's a very Superman chin. I love it. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh, oh, one thing we didn't, uh, we, we, I didn't want to, I didn't want to lose is cause I think it's a very important moment when Godzilla sets traps for the helicopters. Yes. When he springs out of the bu <laughs> building. So there's, there's two traps. There's one where he, he creates a hole in one building so that they think that that's where he's gone. And then once they've stopped shooting and then they pause for dramatic effect, he jumps out of the building behind, behind them and crushes them. Yes. Uh, so that's one trap. 
spectacular uh, uh, another trap another trap that he sets is like he goes around a corner of a building and he's being chased by a helicopter the helicopter turns the corner and he's not there and he's like oh i think i lost him and then we you know we pan overhead uh and of above the helicopter and we see that godzilla is hiding beneath the helicopter That's right as if the helicopter wouldn't be able to see him for some reason. Yeah, no, then, he's he's ducked. This this five hundred <laughs> foot tall creature is ducked underneath the helicopter. <laughs> yeah, uh, and he lunges up from underneath the helicopter and, and crushes it. There's a couple uh, of things there. To, I don't know if you noticed, yeah. but like the radars that they use, like when they set I the fish, noticed. when they used to set the fish trap, the radar, you know, doesn't have like an X to mark the spot. It has a fish <laughs> to mark the spot. <laughs> And, and I did not notice that. And Godzilla is always a different color than the rest of the radar. Like the radar is green and black, and Godzilla is like bright blue everywhere. And it's that's like really how, that's not how radars work. You don't just program the colors. <laughs> you, oh man, you're uh, you're bumming me out. I was hoping radar was kind of like a light bright. <laughs> okay, so this brings us to the final act of the movie, where um, Godzilla has nested inside of Madison Square Garden. Of course. Um, it is conveniently both a place large enough for Godzilla to nest and a place that's large enough to film a scene, fill this, film the scenes like this, and they could rent it out for, you know, weeks at a time. So it's it's real convenient that he didn't decide to nest in the middle of Times Square. Yeah, it's it's convenient. It's also convenient that everyone's like, where could the nest be? And no one thinks there's a giant, like, nest area over there. Yeah, there's a giant empty dome in the middle of the city. You think he's in there? With subway access, um, apparently. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, uh, he's nested in Madison Square Garden. All of his babies are in, like, the, the arena uh, inside of um, eggs. And just as the Frenchman and Matthew Broderick and company have reached the eggs and are starting to plant explosives, um, the eggs start to hatch with little mini Godzillas who move and move and are proportioned a lot more like um, velociraptors from Jurassic Park. Yep. I think that is to accommodate guys in suits. Uh, they need to walk a little bit more upright so that they can have some guys in suits for some shots. And uh, this movie basically becomes Jurassic Park for like the last 30 minutes. Yeah. And it's, it's suspenseful until, uh, you know, the, the gumball scene, there's some suspense there, but then every once in a while, they'll like turn a corner into this deep, dark corridor with no mm -hmm. protrusions everywhere. There's no like evidence that Godzilla was there, you know, this 500 foot monster, but there's right, an egg in right. the middle of the room. And it's like, well, how did you get this in here? <laughs> right. There's like, yeah, there's at the spoiler alert, the last shot of the movie, there's an egg inside of like a storage closet. Yeah, or like or a locker like, room or something. Yeah, I'm like, how did Godzilla get the egg in there? Godzilla's a giant. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so the babies start to hatch and then they immediately start chasing everyone around uh, Madison Square Garden. A lot of the Frenchmen are just picked off. I think all of them are. Yeah. Uh, eventually. Um, so our, our last survivors are, uh, um, Jean-Claude Van Damme, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> Matthew Broderick's Jean character, Audrey, Matthew Broderick, Audrey and animal, animal. Are the, uh, and so the way they, the, basically the, what they end up doing is they, um, they need to, all the eggs have hatched. So their explosives aren't going to work. So they need to blow up the building. So they need a way to reach the military. Um, and of course, none of the phones in the building work. But they can get a broadcast television signal out somehow. Somehow live. 
And of course, Audrey has to do the one thing that she was born to do in order to save their lives. <laughs> she has to do a newscast and hopefully that'll get the word to the military. Hopefully they're just sitting around watching their TVs and they give them six minutes. Now I wanted to try to figure out the, the math and the timing of this, but I just did, wasn't smart enough to figure out how to do it. I wanted to figure out, can you get from what is basically the broadcast booth of Madison square garden to the main exit in six minutes? Cause they're given six minutes to get out of the building before the, the, the jets blow it up. Yeah. With, with, I, with all the like running around, they have to do to get around the, the T-Rex Raptor Godzilla's, mm -hmm. Uh, no, because you'd have to like find the emergency stairwells that are locked, right. unlock them, right. and no way, you're dead. You <laughs> yeah, they, they, there's no way. They look, look, Luke, I've been to a couple Laker, or excuse me, Clipper games at the Staples Center, and Staples Center is nowhere near as big as Madison no. Square Garden, and it takes six minutes to get from your chair to like the bathroom, the, yeah, not even the bathroom, to the tunnel that takes you to the concourse. <laughs> Like, that is more than six minutes. So there's no way they crossed a sea of dinosaurs and got to the front door in six minutes. Yeah, no but way. But anyway, in any event, they do make it to the front door, and uh, they, they shoot their way out, and they blow up just in time. And But Godzilla, spoiler alert, is not dead. Godzilla gets back to Madison Square Garden just in time to notice that all his kids are dead. And then we are to believe that Godzilla... Most animals, like, you know, what, what we hear people say about bear attacks is oftentimes bears will attack if they feel threatened or if they feel like their young is being threatened. Right. Um, but most of the time, bears, if they feel like there's no threat anymore, they'll just leave you alone. That's why they tell you to play dead. If a bear doesn't feel like there's a threat, it'll get bored and leave you alone if it hasn't killed you already. Correct. Godzilla seems to be the only creature I can think of <laughs> that is vengeful. At this point, Godzilla notices his baby is dead. There's one sole baby Godzilla in front of him. He nudges it and sees that it's not moving. Then he looks up at Matthew Broderick and company, like basically scowls at them. They're like, oh, he looks mad. And then he proceeds to chase them on like a revenge murder chase yeah. throughout New York. How they read that he's mad is beyond me. He's got less emotion in his face than the Lion King remake. And they're still like, he's really <laughs> mad. Yeah, it's 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 pretty bonkers. So he chases them through this very, very long um, chase through the city. And they're in a cab and he's on foot, obviously. Uh, Godzilla doesn't steal a car. No. Um, and he's chasing him. And eventually they lead him to a suspension bridge uh, and because Matthew Broderick assumes that he'll be too heavy for it and the bridge collapses, trapping Godzilla in the suspension cables, they shoot him with more missiles I guess, and Godzilla dies. I guess his minor from biology, worm biology was minored in architecture <laughs> or structural yeah. design. Yep. Uh, I, you know, there's a weird part in this movie. There's a, what? there's a weird part in this movie right here where mm -hmm. they start shooting the monster with missiles, right? And then uh -huh. suddenly the music cuts out and it's this long back and forth between Matthew, Bro uh, Matthew Broderick and Godzilla. And it's almost meant to make us feel sorry for the monster. Mm -hmm. And then they just, I thought that too. they just hit the fader and fade the audience cheering back in. <laughs> yeah. And then there's this big celebratory moment, but it just feels... Like, it, you can't have your cake and eat it, too, in a movie like this. <laughs> no. Like, you either present Godzilla as, like, this force of nature that doesn't have a motive. He's just being a, um, an animal. 
you can do that, but then you can't turn around and have him go on a murder rampage out of revenge for the death of his children. Yeah, no. because then he be, then he be just becomes a villain. Yeah, they they try to King Kong him at the end, and it's like, guys, you yeah, are way yeah, beyond that. Work. Yeah, it does not work. Um, so yeah, they they shoot Godzilla. He dies. Uh, we we see the lights go out in his eyes, and Matthew Broderick uh, embraces Audrey. Um, he has a final. A phone call from Jean Renault who tells him, I have your videotape and I will get it back to you once I'm able to remove a few things. Au revoir. Uh, <laughs> yeah, au revoir. And there's like a, everyone has like a last moment where they're like they, you know, all the good guys get a, uh, you know, a quippy line to say and all the bad guys are befuddled and it's, you know, what you'd expect. Yeah, no, um, it's, it's spectacular i mean there, there's so much like that that ending is just nuts i mean right i mean come on uh yeah uh, well, and then oh go on just tell them the ending oh my gosh oh and then okay so after we've done the montage of like the the bad guys kind of getting their comeuppance of like you know i don't work for you anymore or like basically yeah all the good guys quit their abusive employers and like they get told what's what after we get that montage then we see uh we go back to madison square garden and there lo and behold there has been one egg that has survived and it's in like a broom closet and then it hatches <laughs> and a baby godzilla comes out and it roars and we cut to credits yes so wow <laughs> <laughs> what a film so Luke, I, I want to do this uh, for each one of these reviews that we do. Uh, I want you to give this movie a grade based on its science and like based <laughs> on not necessarily it's its science accuracy, but like because because there's going to be some movies that like, especially in the sci fi genre, there's going to be movies that like deal with science that we may not have discovered yet right. or like anything. But I, when I say give it a grade on its science, I want you to take into account the world that it's set up, like how basically how close and how or how far away is it from our world? This one is pretty close to our world. It's supposed to be our world. Yes. And then, and then the science that it sets up in the movie, how sound is that science based on what science we do now? And then how does it, how well does it adhere to its own rules that it sets up? So, and then you can kind of give like an amalgamated grade out of that yeah. on a scale from A to F. So I would give it a, a on its own rules that it sets up. Um, let's see. Goodness. Yeah, I would give it maybe a D. A D. You know, they they set up some rules. Like, you can't track him because he's too cold. But then they break those rules, right? Like, they, yep. the torpedoes break the rules. Torpedoes aren't mm -hmm. even heat-seeking. So, I don't know what the heck. Uh, but, whatever. Um, they, they, they do things like, like, you know, they have helicopters 80 knots. It's, I think they say it's flying at 80 knots and the, the, the Zilla is catching up to it, but then a taxi cab going through rubble in downtown and Zilla's having a hard time catching it. Yeah. Get real, man. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They bomb it and Sidewinder missiles are heat seeking and can pivot. But somehow this gigantic creature just ducks out of the way. It's fine. And they call them sidewinders. You can't just tell me they made them up. Like, and they're meant to hit other aircraft that are much more agile than this giant lizard. Correct. They can sp <laughs> spin around, you know. And it's, yeah. it's just wow, wow. Gotcha. So, so no, yeah, D. The, I think the only thing they get right is uh, the the use of like the 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 artistic design of Godzilla, like make him an iguana. 
uh, and give them iguana qualities like the shape of the chin, the way it swims, the forearms, all that. Like, that's cool. They did that pretty well. Uh, so that's the only like part that I would look at and say, yeah, that's pretty that's pretty cool. Everything else is nuts. It's just <laughs> <laughs> great. By the way, so there's also a, 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 the, yes, sorry, a ahead. D, a D, a D. There's also a spinoff, a, a, a spinoff cartoon okay. show based off this movie. Oh, I've seen that. I've seen I, I, I it's in my memory. I've seen it somewhere. <clears throat> so there's also a movie called Godzilla 2000, which came mm-hmm. out in Japan, made by the original creators of Godzilla Toho. And uh, it's in the movie, it's Godzilla versus Zilla, because they refuse to call American Godzilla, Godzilla. They just call him Zilla. And so in in the movie, Godzilla fights Zilla in Sydney, Australia, and wrecks him in like two minutes. Like Zilla is like trying to bob and weave through the city and Godzilla just eradicates the whole city with like nuclear breath and just calls it a day and moves on. And it's like, that was Japan's way of getting back to... You know, this is not the real Godzilla. Please, please. Wow. Yeah. Well, Japan won Roman or uh, Roland Emmerich zero. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, that I think that's gonna do it for our uh, for our review of Godzilla uh, made in the year two thousand. Not to be confused with Godzilla two thousand. <laughs> um luke it, it's always a pleasure uh let's do some more of these i think these were this is a success let's uh let's do a couple more i'm down man you let me know when and thank you for having me oh dude no worries we appreciate you uh taking a, a moment out of your day doing science to come here and share some science with us here at weekly regular we appreciate it thank you brother <laughs>